When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me. ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast, the free agency edition, as we are deep in the middle of the annual uh, festival, the annual uh, bacchanalia, perhaps, of throwing money around at players who might or might not turn out to be very good. Uh, The Vikings have only made one move so far, signing Detroit Lions tackle Riley Reef to a contract yesterday. We have not seen the terms yet, but given the tackle market, it's certainly going to be one that will probably allow him to uh, buy a few new things for... Uh, his parents, or maybe even his mailman. Uh, we found out today that his mailman's been a big influence in his football life, and I have uh, probably buried the introduction on this long enough. I'm Ben Gessling, of course, from ESPN. The verbose and long-winded Ben Gessling from ESPN, who is now referring to himself in the third person. I'm going to shut up now. Matthew Collar is with me, 1500 ESPN. Uh, Matthew, I clearly need to stop talking. We've been up for probably however many of the last 36 hours, probably way too many of them. Uh, your thoughts on Riley Reef? Uh, my thoughts is that that mailman is going to be bringing some nice checks to <laughs> Riley Reef's house. Yes, he did bring up his mailman uh, saying that that's why he liked the Oakland Raiders yes. growing up. But that, his none dad of that. and his mailman yes, were Raiders Yes, his dad fans. and his mailman. Mom you, was a Vikings fan it, growing up in South Dakota about a half hour from Chad Greenway. So there you go. Uh, and other than that, Riley Reef didn't have a whole lot to say about signing with the Minnesota Vikings other than that he's willing to play left or right tackle. My thought on it is this. If he is average, which is what he has been by his PFF grades or us watching him play against the Vikings, I have never thought, oh boy, Everson Griffin is in for a long day today. But I've also never thought Evan Everson Griffin's going to eat, right? Right. Like, when they played the Jaguars and he was going against Kelvin Beecham, I thought, oh, man, he has just got to be salivating because Beecham is really, really bad. That's never been the case with Riley Reef. Um, and an average tackle that you spend probably a lot of money on, we don't know the terms as of this recording, but it's probably in the $50 million range, like Matt Khalil. Probably. Comparing it to Khalil... It's a much better contract to get someone who's average than Matt Khalil, who's been well below average for three years, 
and got paid like he's good. What a baffling thing that was. So if you compare it to that, or Russell Okung, who is old and kind of washed up, not yeah. what he used to be, yeah. you've come away thinking you probably did pretty well there for the market. The only thing that I've been caught up a little bit on is, how did the Rams get away with what they paid Andrew Whitworth? Yeah. Even with his age, yeah. not a whole lot was thrown down for Whitworth, and you wonder if the Vikings could have topped it or if he just really wanted to go to L.A. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think it's maybe one of those things. I mean, obviously, you're not paying as much when you're paying a 35-year-old, but if it's the kind of thing where you want high-level play for a year or two, and most of these contracts, really, you're only tied in for a year or two anyway before the guaranteed money runs out and you're able to get out of it, I mean, that's certainly how the Vikings structure most of their contracts, and I would expect is probably going to be how they structure the one with Riley Reef as well. We'll, we'll see it uh, fairly soon here whenever it uh, gets into the databases of the places that uh, we find these things out. Um, the, I mean, you you could have gone that way, I, and I think Andrew Whitworth certainly would have been a guy that that would have made some sense. Now you're not able to sort of take that position and forget about it, so to speak, for the next four or five years. Whether you're able to do that with Riley Reef or not, I'm not sure. I mean, I, this is certainly probably not a guy that is going to be an all-pro left tackle or right tackle wherever he ends up. I don't think he was even their first choice. I mean, I think Rick Wagner, who wound up in Detroit, was the guy that they were really going after. That's what I had heard when the negotiating period started. And and it's interesting that Riley Reef went from left tackle to right tackle when the Lions took a guy in the first round to, to play at left tackle, Taylor Decker, and then uh, was replaced by Rick Wagner in Baltimore, excuse me, in Detroit, coming from Baltimore to Detroit, and that's what made him available to the Vikings in the first place. So that all of that should be factored into this move. But like you say, if he's average, that certainly is a big improvement over what we've seen, particularly on the left side lately, where uh, T.J. Clemmings has been operating uh, on that side of the line. And, and we'll see what they do with the rest of the mix here. They, they have Mike Remmers uh, from the Carolina Panthers in for a visit today. Mike Remmers, of course, was with the Vikings back at the end of the 2013 season. As and, we all remember. Yes, uh, at the end of the Leslie Frazier era, and they actually was cut from their practice squad shortly before the start of the 2014 season. So he's been here with Mike Zimmer briefly. He was actually, I, th I think, one of two guys cut from that Vikings team that wound up being starters for the Super Bowl team in Carolina. Of course, uh, safety Kurt Coleman being the other one, and then Coleman went to Carolina and I think had seven interceptions. Uh, our, our buddy... Blake Barrett's, um, who represents Kurt Coleman, and was has, likes to tell that story about uh, you know um, it, being able to give the Vikings a little bit of a hard time about not hanging on to him, how he probably could have helped. But uh, Mike Remmers, of course, is, is in here on a visit today. Again, not a guy that's going to probably uh, completely fix the problem, but like you say, Matthew, if if, if these guys provide average. Uh, that would certainly be a big improvement. Yeah, if you go from the 32nd or 31st line, uh, maybe Seattle Seahawks fans would have an argument that they were just as bad as yes. the Vikings last That's year. usually the two that are if, fighting for it, oddly if, enough. If you go from there to 17th or something yeah. like that, mid-pack, you've taken a giant step forward like you would if you had a left fielder that hit 190 and then you signed one that hit 250. You'd feel a lot better about that. Yes, it's not Mike Trout that you're throwing out there, but it's at least somebody that you can throw in the batting order and not feel like you're just getting killed all the time. And that left tackle position, I think, is where Riley Reef will end up playing uh, because if you look at the rest of the market, 
There are a few serviceable right tackles and nothing left when it comes to the left tackle market. Yeah. If yeah. you want, there wasn't much in the first place, but no, a lot of right. those guys are gone. Yeah, exactly, and that's how Matt Khalil ends up with fifty million dollars is because there just wasn't anything there. If you're being a reasonable team GM, you would say with Matt Khalil, all right, maybe we give you a one year deal and it's all guaranteed, but you've got to prove it or something like that. That would be like the logical thing. It's not logical when it gets out on the market and everybody's so desperate to get a left tackle, but now. Ryan Clady is very old, very beat up, yeah. missed the whole 2015 season, missed half of last season. Beecham, who I mentioned, is just a very, very well below average player. And then that's about it uh, in terms of left tackles, right? Am I missing somebody? Do you got it up there? Is that what you're looking at? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm uh, looking at reports that they are wrapping up a deal with Mike Remmers. Oh, okay. All right. Well, how about that check then? Check into our sources on that. Okay. But, uh... So... Uh, with Remmers and uh, now with Reef as well, what you have is, okay, this is much, much better. Remmers was good enough to start at right tackle for the Carolina Panthers when they went to the Super Bowl. They had a really tough time with the offensive line in the Super Bowl, but you're talking about being good enough to get there with a quarterback that does spend a lot of time uh, rolling yeah, around the pocket. I think he wound up having to face Von Miller quite a bit in that game. Yeah, and, and also the turf was bad, and it, it was a really tough situation. But I think Remmers can come in and provide you with stable play, and that's about the best you're hoping for um, from these two guys. Now it's about the center and, and guard position. Joe Berger is going to come back, so where do you want him to play? I think an interesting option would be to draft a center that might start um, if they're not sold on Nick Easton. And then uh, also there's a possibility of Jeremiah Searles being the right guard, which Searles is not a tackle, I don't think, when it comes to stopping the yeah. pass rushers. They he, like him, though. They a, like him as a guard. He is a massive guy that did well when it came to uh, run blocking. Not many people did well when it came to run blocking, but I thought he was serviceable there. So now let's say they wrap this up, and so what do we think then about uh, how it looked? What am I reading? Oh, okay. Michael Kendricks is uh, staying in Philadelphia, Eric Kendricks' brother. I would brother. assume that is the case if he has a guaranteed base salary of $4.35 million. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that was sort of an interesting thought that you know maybe they could get Eric Kendricks' brother. Or Vikings Twitter, you guys have been all over the place with rumors. We've we've been uh, chatting about this today, uh, and I think that was one of them. And, and maybe they'd take on that salary, but um, at any rate, we'll, we'll stay on the on the uh, the topic at hand here. So, say their line is Reef at left tackle, Alex Boone at left guard, Berger at center. Jeremiah Searles at right guard and Mike Remmers at right tackle. How does that grab you? That grabs me as well. It's not last year, <laughs> right? That that's how it grabs me, right? Uh, with Reef, the one thing that concerns me about him is that his own team went looking for uh, upgrades. Yes, not yes, just that is the caveat there. Not just at the left tackle, but also at the right tackle as it's well. It's been a two-year process, basically. Yes, that does make you wonder when you drafted a guy in the first round riley reef and then a few years later you can't wait to draft someone else to take his position and then you can't wait to spend money on somebody else to take his other position yeah that does give you pause yeah. a little bit yeah um as far as this offense goes reef is a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker 
Um, and I know that they're going to keep trying to get the ball out fast, I would assume. So there, you can't look at this and start celebrating at the top of, is there any hills or mountains in Minnesota? Not really. I mean, you could go up to like Lutzen and you get up to like a 800 to a thousand feet. I think, I think our, whatever our biggest peak is in Minnesota is like a thousand feet. Oh, that's not great. You um, could drive out to, to South Dakota where Riley Reef is from, go to the Black Hills, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to long drive. I don't, I don't know if it's really worth hmm. it. Sort of like the top of U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, I guess. You, you're not going to climb to the top of U.S. Bank Stadium or a truss. You're not going to go climb oh, yeah. up on a truss. and hang a ten by forty foot banner. <laughs> yes, too you're, soon. You're know. not going to hang off a banner that says "Goat Offensive Line," right? Probably not. No. Um, but if you wanted to do that, now he, we know he, it's possible. It is possible. So, what does this mean then? I mean, in terms of your wins, in terms of how much better the offense in general will be because they have these two guys. When it comes to any player that isn't a quarterback, I always sort of mm, have a tough time figuring sure. out. It isn't like baseball where you could say, well, the guy's worth six wins. End of story. I I think the biggest question that we're going to find out is when the circumstances are better for Sam Bradford, how good is he really? Yeah, I, I think that's the big question, and I think uh, you know the running game certainly is going to be a big part of this as well. Because I mean, as you mentioned, Riley Reef's a better run blocker than pass blocker, and, and you probably could put Mike Remmers in that camp as well. It's just it's interesting to see this name coming back into the mix after you know a guy that was here previously, and they never really put him on the field. Um, you know, but I, I think. If you're able to open some holes where you can run the ball at least somewhat effectively to, to give some kind of counterbalance to the offense, and if you just have an average line, I mean, if they'd had an average line last year, say it was the 17th, 18th best in the league, so just a little below average, they probably, I would think, win a couple of those close games and probably are in the playoffs, right? I mean, you know, you figure... Maybe the Detroit game, one of those two Detroit games swings the other way. Uh, maybe the Redskins game. Um, trying to think where else it was. Yeah, people Washington, getting I really thought. Wa- yeah. That was one where I really thought. The Bears game. Well, the Bears game was a mess. The, the, the Bears game was a job, mess, but, but could you could you get a few more yards on the ground, control the ball a little bit better? I, I thought injuries were a really big issue in that game. Although that actually might have been TJ Clemmings' best game that he played. The Bears game? Um, yeah, uh, no, the Bears the game was tough. You're talking about the Washington game. game. Yeah, yeah, that was tough. Um, and Jake Long was actually okay in that game too, so maybe not. It was a, really the defense in that one. But maybe there's maybe there's one game in there that they win and end up in the playoffs. And I think we look at this team as a playoff team if Sam Bradford remains healthy yeah. and their defense is mostly what it was last year or possibly even improved depending on how maybe. Depend, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. It's well, possible. We'll- Depending on if Anthony Barr bounces back, they could be a little better. Going to have um, Sharif Floyd back, maybe. Sharif, well, you'll maybe. have him on the roster. Um, and also, I thought it hurt big time when um, Anderson Dejo went down against Chicago, yeah. and then Harrison Smith went down. Yeah, I, I think that their backup safety situation was pretty pretty tough. Yes, that the Bears game turned real quickly on that with uh, J. Ron Curse taking yes. the wrong angle on that Jordan Howard run. So it's possible that it could be even better. So we look at them as a playoff team. But to me, it's all about Sam Bradford and the type of numbers that he puts up and whether he can get over his third down-itis. Yeah. 
because there was plenty of times where TJ Clemmings did block his person. Yeah. As poor as he was, 90% of the time he was blocking his guy. So even if Sam Bradford was a little spooked by that, if you're talking about all the third downs and you go back and look at them, there's a handful where, yeah, okay, the offensive line breaks down and that's the problem. There are many more where it's a check down because he doesn't read the defense properly or he panics and gets rid of the ball. He does still lack that presence in the pocket that I don't think changes a ton because you put two average players at their position as opposed to two really poor players well, at those tackle positions. Yeah, and that's going to be the big question is, and maybe we'll find this out now, is how much of the issues last year with Bradford checking the ball down, particularly on third downs, were because of the protection around him or how much of it was him seeing ghosts. And I, and I you know, presumably if you get better protection – You'll see a little bit of that. Although the the pass protection really wasn't all that bad in the, in the final numbers. Now some of that, of course, is Sam Bradford getting rid of the ball quickly enough that people don't get into the backfield. But I mean, to me, if you can not make so many of these third downs, third and seven, third and eight. I mean, if you can if you can run the ball well enough on one of the first two downs where it's third and five, third and four. Sometimes a checkdown can get the job done. I mean, it, so much of it, I think, is just being able to extend some of these drives. And if you're able to get to a point where you're not putting so much on your quarterback and your receivers to some extent on third downs, that would make a big difference. I mean, I, I think this is a playoff caliber team if the line is average. I, I think they would have been last year. Um, all the other <laughs> circumstances that went into it aside, I, I think the defense was good enough and they were in enough of those games. I mean, they're not going to get blown out. They're mm-hmm. not going to be a team that gives up a lot of points for the most part and gets blown out very often. So they're going to be in a lot of these games, and then it comes down to the one or two drives that you can extend, the one or two third downs you can convert. It's those little things that are going to make the difference, and I think if they are at least able to create some kind of a solid foundation up front, um, it will certainly make a difference. And when it comes to T.J. Clemmings in the running game, I don't think it was appreciated enough how bad he was in run blocking. Yeah. That it it was so obvious when he would just lunge at someone and they would walk around him and sack the quarterback that that was the main focus. But the game that sticks out to me so much was in Houston where Jadavian Clowney matched Mm -hmm. up against him. In the run game, he blew up Jarek McKinnon three, four, five times just throwing T.J. Clemmings aside or making one move. And Reef, I think that might be the biggest upgrade with him is that he has some power to his game and he can get a little push off there. And so if we see a difference between averaging three yards a carry – and being dead last in the league as the Vikings were to, again, if you get to the middle of the league as a run team, then at least you have somewhat of a threat. Uh, And and at least you can get some of those balls punched in from the goal line or on third and short uh, because you have the offensive linemen to do it. The interior of the line though, Ben done there, just going to stick with Joe Berger and Jeremiah Searles, because I don't think that many people would be happy with that. I, I, I think that what, we want to see a lot of fans would want to see and i and i would want to see is one more guy that's brought in even if it's not someone with a long track record of being proven yeah but even if it's just someone who's versatile maybe a guy who could play center or guard because going in with berger who's on the older side and was dinged up last year Mm -hmm. 
Searles, who's unproven, and Boone, who was okay but not overly impressive. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of the issues in the running game were last year. Yeah, yeah, and I, it'll be interesting to see what they do now. Uh, I, I, I think Jeremiah Searles certainly is going to be in the plan, from what I understand. I, I think they like him. I, I think they sort of would go into this thinking he could possibly be the right guard. I mean, that would be what I would expect to see happen when we get to OTAs is that's the first thing you look at doing is saying, hey, is this guy the guard, assuming they don't sign anybody else. But, yeah, I would agree that that it you could certainly still stand to do something there. Maybe it's not going and signing TJ Lang or you know somebody on that sort of a price tag, but especially with what we've seen with the guard market, um, that that you know is an eight figure salary type thing. I think if you could go get somebody that at least gives you another option that at least is like you say versatile and reliable, and maybe even somebody that can be you know a guard slash tackle type, because you know you you still assuming that everybody's going to stay healthy on the offensive line is a dangerous proposition as as the Vikings of anybody should know. And uh, I, I still think you probably need to go get somebody that you trust there because we saw what happened last year when they didn't have that backup at left tackle. It became, well, we're back to TJ Clemmings and we don't really have another way to go around it. So if you could get a guy that, that can play guard or tackle, maybe Willie Beavers turns into that guy, maybe. Um, Searles certainly can play both positions too. Yeah, there'd still be a need there, I think. I, I think maybe the key here to signing Mike Remmers is that he can play both. Yeah. That he moved yeah. over to left tackle last year, was not good in Carolina, but mm-hmm. was serviceable. Yep. And that's all you hope for is that if you lose your left tackle, anybody who loses their left tackle, like in hockey, you lose your number one center. Well, good luck because there aren't yeah, too many people right. who could play your number one center. They're hard but to get. If you have somebody who can move over into that spot and not kill you, then you're in much better shape than the Vikings were last year. You know what they've also I once covered a season with the Wild where Warren Peters was once their number one center the, the year I was on the beat. Wow! So I've I've seen that and uh, T.J. Clemmings was a left <laughs> tackle for an NFL team, and uh, in both cases those teams had the best record in the league to start the season, and then they fell apart. The Wild, of course. Uh, as 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 the story's probably been told, uh, fell apart right about the moment I started covering them, and the, the Wild still like to remind me of that when I go over there. But uh, hmm. yeah, no, that is one of those positions in sports that if you lose them, they're awfully hard to replace because people do not give those up. So you are a culprit of all of this. Failure. I have been accused of being a walking jinx more than hmm. once, especially given the fact that when I stopped covering the Washington Nationals. Oh, they got uh, was good, about right? the moment they got really good. <laughs> and you could see that coming. Now, in that case, I, I will actually claim credit for them being good because they were so bad when I was around that they were able to draft Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper. I mean, that's the reason they got good. So, I, yes, I was not there to, to see the benefits of it, but I, I laid the groundwork for that happening. So, um, in that case, I'll, I will claim credit for it. Real quick. The Seattle Mariners played a useless series at yes. the end of the year. <laughs> yes, you know this. Right? Oh, I was on the other side of this. Yes, yes. yes. I was covering the, the Nationals at that point. They were in the driver's seat to get Steven yes, Strasburg, and they won three games in a row against yep. the Oakland A's in a useless series. Yep. And lost Strasburg. And lost Steven Strasburg. And, and the Nationals got swept by the Phillies. The Phillies clinched the division that weekend. And you know who the interim manager, nobody's going to care about this, so we'll wrap it up quickly. The interim manager of the Seattle Mariners at the time was Jim Riggleman. You know, the Nationals manager was when Steven Strasburg was called up to the big leagues. 
Jim Riggleman. That's funny. It was a goofy little hmm. weekend thing. I think Jim Bowden, the GM at the time, who was kind of a a, a nut, I guess, is probably a, a bit of a, a gadfly, <laughs> um, was sort of inkling at the idea that maybe they would not try to win the last few games so they could get Strasburg. Um, I don't think they actually went out and did that, but he was uh, suggesting that. So lots there- of lots of weird... Uh, little subplots to that story. Well, Jameis Winston is in Tampa Bay in part because they took out all their starters in the <laughs> second half of a game. And also, um, how many hockey teams have done it for the number yeah, one overall NBA pick? teams have done it. The Pittsburgh Penguins famously did it for um, Mario Lemieux, and I guess that turned out okay for yeah, them. Tanking yeah. works, which, uh, sp- speaking of that, the uh, – Browns are on an interesting track yeah. too. By the way, if you want, do you have a take on that before we? Because uh, I we've got to talk about the running game and some other things. Right. But I the other am, big visit of the weekend. Yes, the other big visit of the weekend. Big right being the key word yep. there. Um, yep. But with the Browns, really interesting move for me. A very NBA like yes. move. I like a very it. very sort of modern move to take mm-hmm. money and get a draft pick and stack picks. This NFL is just so much about the quarterbacks that I have no idea if this is going to work or not, yeah. and that's where it will be determined. But I think Cleveland is sort of ushering us in a little bit to some different ideas being uh, presented in the NFL than maybe have been before. Yeah, you know what? I, the thing I like about it is that somebody is trying something different. And we see so much of this like, oh, hey, you worked in this guy's front office. That means you'll be able to transfer the same approach here, and it'll be a carbon copy, and it'll work great, which doesn't work all that often. I mean, the the derivative of, hey, you were in this guy's system, that means you can pretty much just transfer it here and it's going to be the same thing, doesn't work that much. So the fact that somebody is at least trying something different in a way that looks for marketed efficiencies and tries to exploit those, and I think that's kind of what they're trying to do with the offensive line. They realize how bad offensive line prospects are coming out of this draft and, and how hard they are to develop in the NFL – the Browns spent a ton of money on their offensive line, and I think they're saying we can take advantage of that. We'll spend our money there, and we'll leave some of the rest of it. But, yeah, I mean, if you if you have cap space that you're not spending, and you're probably not going to spend because you don't have anybody that you need to extend in the next year, why not? I mean, go, go give yourself another chance to get a, a high-impact player because, you know, we all know those are the ways you win. Either you have the picks to take a guy in the second round or if you want to trade up for somebody. I think they already have – you know, a couple of first round picks as it is, but uh, if you want to get another one, you you have the ammo to do it. So, yeah, I like it. I like the fact that it's different, and and uh, you know they'll certainly get probably disparaged for it if it doesn't work. But uh, you know, Billy Bean certainly got disparaged for a lot of things in the early days of that as well. Well, that's the thing too that comes up all the time is ah, oh, it's the Browns, right? Anything they do will fail, and the same well, thing happens. The, the Cubs, the, the Red Cubs, Sox, right? For a very, very long time. I mean, and you can make that comparison across sports. Who had more failure than Cleveland? And eventually, it worked out for them. Uh, not so surprisingly, with a top draft pick, right? right who turned into a great player. And uh, even them getting Kevin Love was the result of having the high draft pick. Now, who then sort of became the GM as it, <laughs> yeah, and that worked out for the Timberwolves too. Yeah, and they traded Andrew Wiggins to get him. Right, and we'll see how that ends Maybe up working out. out but uh, getting high draft picks again, Carl Anthony Towns mm-hmm. and Andrew Wiggins. Yep. So this is an idea. It's a concept that has worked many times across sports, and whether it ends up turning out or not. 
um, the Jaguars were trying the same approach, yeah. but Blake Bortles ruined it for them, more or less. Yeah. They had a pretty good team last yeah. year. I mean, how many team, how many games do they win if they have average quarterback? Pretty play? good defense. They probably win eight, nine, yeah. ten games. Yeah, but which Bortles, in that division is enough to get to the playoffs. Yeah, but Bortles was the worst quarterback in the league, and we've also seen mismanagement out the behind from Indianapolis, yeah. and they've still been competitive. Yep. yep. It all comes down to that, but I like, like you said, that there's a different sort of uh, fresh approach mm-hmm. to looking at football, and uh, I'm interested to see what stuff ends uh, that they do in the future that might end up being copycatted elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, if if you're talking about draft and develop being the the better way of developing your team, and, and I think a lot of people kind of land on that side of it, this is kind of an extreme version of that in in some senses. I realize they're signing free agents on the offensive line, but the core of this approach is let's stockpile as many draft picks as we possibly can because that gives us young players. It allows us to get them at the start of their careers where we can coach them the way we want to do it. And they're, most importantly, controllable. Because if you get those guys... I mean, Seattle did this, where, especially with the quarterback, where you were paying him cheaply. Andrew Luck certainly did this for Indianapolis. but I mean, Seattle, to me, is the big example because you had Russell Wilson not making very much you had you know, guys like Richard Sherman, who were still in their rookie deals for a while, Cam Chancellor, go on down the list. They were able to build that team and keep going out to, to get more pieces to add to it because those guys weren't that expensive. If you take that approach to the nth degree, and I realize you got to hit on a lot of draft picks to do it, but if you can get that to work, you've got a window to, to have a really good, really young, really cheap team and then kind of go get what you need from there. And in terms of stockpiling draft picks, too, it's the draft is so random. In fact, every study that you'll ever read, if you Google it, will all tell you that there isn't a single team that is good at drafting consistently year after year. Despite what most of those teams want you to believe. Oh, of course. they haven't figured out. You hold up the successes. You ignore the failures. We couldn't but, believe this guy was here. He was at the top of our board. We're just thrilled that we were able to take him when we did. But if you look at the Vikings alone, I mean, one year they draft Stephon Diggs in the fifth and yeah. Eric Kendricks in the second. Daniel Hunter in the third. And you go, oh my gosh, that draft is unreal. Yeah, looked really good. Still and, does look really good. And the same people did the same draft the next year and end God. up with the fewest snaps played or yep. second fewest snaps played by the draft. Crickets. And that tells you everything about it. Same people, same process, mm-hmm. and you end up with Laquan Treadwell. And by the way, all the draft experts gave you A's across the board for your draft. Yep. Nobody knows nothing when it comes to the draft except that if you have more picks, you have more... Uh, balls in the lottery right. thing, whatever. It's yeah, called. in the hopper. That's, hopper. That's, that's all right. it is. I mean, it, it becomes this game of we get a number of shots at it, and you hear Rick Spielman talk all the time about how he likes to have 10 picks, and, and the philosophy behind that, I mean, some of that is that you can move around and, and you have collateral to do different things with this guy you really want, but a lot of it is just having enough swings that if you hit on three or four of them, I mean, if you look at a draft Five, six years down the road, a lot of times, I mean, guys that maybe were starters for three years are gone by that point. A lot of times, if you have drafts that yielded two guys out of seven or eight or nine that Mm -hmm. can be five, six-year starters, that's a really good draft. So the more chances you have to get those guys, I think it's a... It's a novel approach, and and uh, I certainly think it's worth trying, and uh, I'll be curious to see how it goes. Draft question for you with the Vikings yes, before sir. we talk about Eddie Lacy and what he's going to eat when he uh, visits Minnesota. <laughs> um, 
So now that you've got a right tackle and a left tackle, second round pick, got two thirds, two fourths. Yes. How? What do you? What's your approach to offensive linemen there? Because you can't walk out of that draft without offensive linemen. Right. You should probably pick them pretty high because neither of these two players are absolute the future. Yep. Lock them in for life. But I also think at the same time, with a weak draft with offensive linemen and a really good draft with tight ends and running backs, you've got a chance for the second-round pick to say, all right, we're not so desperate that we have to take a lineman that doesn't really deserve to yeah. go here. And there's a lot of really good running backs mm-hmm. here, uh, including maybe Joe Mixon. It's a possibility. Yeah. And some amazing-looking tight ends. Right. So it, it almost has kind of played out to where – all right, well, it looked like it was going to be a really bad thing that there weren't very many offensive linemen early in the draft. And now you might say, well, they've since they've at least solidified this for now, there's some skill positions where they could get a starter. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on what you're hoping to get out of it because I, I think the Vikings typically, I mean, for as much as they've talked about draft and develop, and they've done more of it, they've, they've kind of uh, you know, walked the talk a little bit more than they had in the past, but... This is typically, over the course of the time that the Wilfs have owned the team, been a team that feels like we're close and let's go for it. And I certainly think there's an element of that that's still going to play into this. I would not be surprised at all if they say, all right, we've got our line in better shape now. Let's go out and add some other things. And and you don't want to force it with offensive linemen, especially as bad as this draft is thought to be on the line. But I still think, as an overall rule, the reason you got into this problem in the first place was because you didn't invest high picks in it. Rick Spielman effectively admitted that when he talked to us a couple of weeks ago. He said he'd done all these studies, and and one of them showed, surprise, surprise, that teams that draft linemen highly tend to have more success with those linemen. I, I don't know that you have – you're certainly not going to have the Dallas Cowboys offensive line by adding Riley Reef and Mike Remmers to what you already have. I still think that, that that group needs some investment in it with younger players, uh, guys that you can develop over the, couple, the next couple of years, especially when you have two starters who are going to be in their 30s next year in Alex Boone and Joe Berger. I, I, I think you have to invest in it, but it probably does give you a little more flexibility in the sense that you're not sitting there saying, man, we have to get a lineman with the first pick we have or, or we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, what I, the way that I'm looking at it is – so maybe in the second round at 48th overall, or is it 47th, coin flippers? I think it's 48th. How many people even would get that reference? There was a yeah, a, it was it was goofy. Uh, yeah, mistake with the coin flip. It is 48th, I believe. Yes, it there is was 48th. a mistake with the coin flip at the combine, and the, anyway, none of that matters. But with the person that you could draft at 48th overall might be very similar to the type of prospect that you can get in the third instead. Yeah. So you would say, okay, well, there is a second-round running back, uh, the kid from Tennessee or you know whoever might be out there in the second round, Delvin Cook drops maybe or something like yeah. that because he didn't have a good combine. All right, well, we've got to draft that playmaker, and we know that we can get a quality guard or a quality tackle um, that can be a prospect later that's a better prospect than T.J. Clemmings or Willie Beavers. And the thing with that is if you're doing it this time around, I think what you do is look for some players that have a higher hit rate 
than long shot athletes, right? Yeah. Guys that have a better chance to succeed but might never become Orlando Pace. Right. I mean, and last year's draft, by their admission, was a lot of sort of let's go for the high upside guys. The guys are going to take a little longer to develop, and we'll see where we get with those guys. Now, a year in, that doesn't look very good. And I don't think you can judge a draft completely a year into it. It's going to take a few years to see how that works out. But yeah, they're, they're certainly in a spot where you could probably use some guys now that that are a little bit more projectable that are a little easier to figure out what they're going to be and uh you know because you can't be in these situations where you're con- when especially with offensive lines when you only have really three backups and it's hard to get veterans because we see how expensive they are you have to have guys that can play somewhat at at, at least an adequate level at somewhat of a young age so i mean having all of these long-term projects is a nice idea, but the reality is with injuries at that position and the fact that you only get to carry generally eight or nine of them at a time, those guys are going to get pressed into action. So the more you can have guys step in and at least be able to hold down the fort, yeah, I think that would be a worthwhile way to approach it. And we'll see what they do, but certainly I think there would be some merit to doing it that way. You want a little Vikings news item that just came across my tweet box? Cordero Patterson visiting with Washington and the Oakland Raiders. Yes, I, I cannot did see think that. of a more Cordero Patterson-y team than the Oakland Raiders. Even if they're being run differently than back in the L. Davis days, a wide receiver with incredible athleticism and speed. Yep. Who wearing number eighty four, going from Minnesota to Oakland. Yes, Sounds very well, familiar. There is that, but I'm thinking of more in the skill set and yep. not so receivery. But right. more athlete-y and playmaker-y that Al Davis would have loved Cordero Patterson. Sure, yeah, he certainly would have, and I think there's probably some merit to doing that. Um, if you're the Raiders, when you're a team that has a little bit more of an offensive line um, that can can make some things happen, and a team that has a chance to go for it now with Derek Carr and, and Amari Cooper, I mean that's that's a good team. I think if you can. Mix him into the offense, it's, it's going to be a pretty good weapon. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. On May 11, 2016, the Defend Trade Secrets Act went into effect. The act extends the current Economic Espionage Act of 1996, which criminalizes trade secret thefts to the civil arena. This means for the first time, trade secret owners can now bring suit in federal district courts without having to resort to another basis for jurisdiction. While not without critics, the act is a major step forward in the protection of intellectual property in the United States, not least because federal law now fully recognizes four types of intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and now trade secrets. Minnesota Statutes Chapter 325C also also provides a civil cause of action in state court for the wrongful misappropriation of trade secrets. If your business has been victimized by the misappropriation of its confidential information, contact an attorney to determine if you have claims under either federal or state law. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. 
It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. So the Vikings now have their two tackles with the Mike Remmers deal uh, being official, of course, in the time that we were recording this podcast. The running game could be uh, getting a different look. Uh, a player that should be quite familiar to Vikings fans is coming to town, uh, presumably for dinner. Sorry, I couldn't resist the one. Eddie Lacy, of course, uh, is coming to town on a visit with the Vikings this weekend. Uh, his agency had said that he was visiting the Seattle Seahawks today. Uh, we'll visit the Vikings Saturday, Sunday, and uh, we'll be going back to the Green Bay Packers for a visit. Though I'm not really quite sure what he needs to visit. Like, hey, Eddie, Show this me is around. where your locker would be. Like, yeah, I know. I've been here for the last four <laughs> years. Like, at any rate. He'll be here this weekend. Uh, I thought this was interesting for a couple of reasons. First, Eddie Lacy has been a guy that has killed the Vikings over the years, and I'm never a big fan of the, hey, this guy is really good against us, let's sign him so we don't have to play him bit. Um, But they certainly have had a good look at him to see what he could do and how he would fit. Uh, He's a better pass catcher than I think people assume he is just because of his size, And, and it would be interesting to see how they would use him and what I think this offense is going to be. We should also get into what this might or might not mean for Adrian Peterson. It, it certainly is interesting that the first running back they're talking to is not Adrian Peterson, whom uh, I I had a couple conversations with people close to him today, and the, uh, the 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 story there was they basically said like anything you read about people being close, people being interested, you know whether he's taking visits, all this stuff like there's nothing that substantial yet it's he's taking his time he's letting things play out they feel like once the first wave of free agency gets over he'll kind of have a chance to go out and and uh, see where things stand at that point but it is worth noting that when the Vikings had talked about possibly leaving the door open uh, they are going to talk to another running back before they entertain the possibility of Adrian Peterson. And I if there won- is a possibility yeah, at all. I wonder if they're leaving the door open at all or if they're just moving on. I mean, this looks a lot like we're moving on to better options. And Eddie Lacy is so much better of a fit than Adrian Peterson is. The way that I look at the NFL now is that you have three types of running backs in the league. You've got your Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, who does it all. Right. Plays 80% of the snaps is just the all-around back. That guy's going to gain 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Yep. Superstar. Yep. Then you've got your grounded-pound beast guys like LeGarrette Blunt, or uh, even what Latavius Murray did last year for Oakland. This guy's going to get your three tight ends in the game and just slam up the middle. And then you have your receiving backs. James White is the most notable that comes to mind. But uh, Tevin Coleman, I mean, there's a lot of these guys who are out there. Um, Reddick from the Lions, yep. theoretic. Yep. He's, he's apparently he's, hurt. He, but he's a, he's a good receiving back out of the backfield. So you got those three categories. And I think when we think about Eddie Lacy, because he is so large, we think of him as LeGarrette Blunt just right. running over guys. He is not. He is a good pass catcher who mm-hmm. averages 8.9 yards a catch for his career. Yep. And three out of every eight snaps have been taken with Eddie Lacy, or three out of every eight rushes by Eddie Lacy have right. been out of the shotgun. Right. Which is a really interesting stat that I didn't realize with him that he has done a lot of running out of the shotgun. That could be very interesting with an offense that wants to run predominantly out of the shotgun in Minnesota. Well, and that's a function of operating with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is not under center all that much, and they actually, I think, put him in the pistol a fair amount, too. I mean, you watch some of the things they do. they got that inverted wishbone thing they like to do. 
they've got a few different ways that they operate with Rodgers, but he's in the shotgun quite a bit. So, I mean, they, they've run Eddie Lacy out of the shotgun certainly plenty. I mean, it would certainly be – the narrative on Eddie Lacy is that he's what? He's big and and uh, what's the nice where to put this? Um what what's the what's the politically correct term I'm looking uh, fat, for? Fat, I think is. The uh, that was not the one I was looking no. for, but we'll go with it because I'm I'm sitting here fumbling for the word, big and um, wide set. It's sort of the the narrative with him, but I mean we've seen him catch screen passes. We've seen him be able to move, you know, a little bit. He's kind of known for that spin move that he's got. I mean. I, it, it may not be the most obvious fit, but uh, it certainly is interesting to look at him as a possibility. He's obviously younger than Adrian Peterson uh, by a number of years. And uh, the question with him is how motivated is he going to be? If this is a guy that goes out and gets some money, it's not, not going to be a lot. But if he gets some money, how motivated is he going to be to keep himself in shape, to go out and work, to fit in with a new team? I mean, that that is kind of always the big question with him, and it's going to be interesting to see where the Vikings will land on that, if, if it's something they're serious about or if it's just something they're kicking the tires on. That'll be uh, certainly worth watching this weekend as they, they presumably will have him come into town tomorrow night. They usually do dinner the first night. Uh, Rick Spielman had uh, joked with me that they're going to move those visits around this year. <laughs> I, I think they, they have gotten uh, probably tired of seeing my smiling face waiting for them trying to get quotes at those things, but they typically take players to Manny's. They like the setup they have there. We'll see if that's what they do or not. I may not go stake it out. Um, I have some other plans tomorrow night, and I'm not terribly fired up about it, but we'll see what happens. Rick, I may be waiting for you. It is cold. If you're going to go stake it out, I mean, you want it to be a warmer night. The Jennings one, I remember, a few years ago was a pretty cold night. In fact, I think a lot of that night, uh, Don Mitchell from Fox 9 was also there, and I think we were... um, I I think I was filing stories in in the van or the, the, the SUV they had there just to stay warm. They had another one that was was pretty warm a couple of years ago. Maybe Mike Wallace or Michael Johnson. It was Michael Johnson. Is there Johnson. a heat to signing ratio? Um, you know the colder ones I think have been better. Um, the the Jennings one was cold. Michael Johnson they did not get. That was a fairly warm night. I think it was kind of windy. It was the same night they traded for Mike Wallace. And then what the heck was the one I went to last year? Um, maybe Andre Smith. I guess they got. I think that was. I think it was a warmer night. I don't know. There's probably nothing to it, but. Um, I, would anyway. assume, I would assume not. Uh, anyway, what do you I, think of Eddie Lacy, Matthew? I like the way Eddie Lacy fits with this offense, but I also like the way he fits uh, as sort of juxtaposition to Jarek McKinnon and whoever else they could get in the draft. Because Jarek McKinnon was really good as a fill-in back, as the number two banana back. Uh, with Adrian Peterson, and you could have argued that they should have used McKinnon more in 2015 because of his efficiency, both running and catching the ball. I don't think McKinnon is quite ready to be that all-around back, though the offensive line was so poor last year, it's kind of hard to say. There were plenty of times where I felt like there were bigger runs to be had for McKinnon that you need to kind of work to get him in space. There are some guys where you can go standard NFL run game, like Ezekiel Elliott. You've got the line. You've got the guy. Let's zone run and just old school. But uh, with McKinnon, I think more work needs to be done. He needs to be put in the slot and maybe run it 
end around style or be used out of the shotgun and have the, the line move and things like that. You know, get a little creative to yeah. get him the ball. So if you have to be creative to get a guy in space, you're talking about 40% of the snaps yeah. or something like that and use him in the passing game. And then if you're talking about two-thirds and two-fourths, there's got to be a running back in the mix there unless you are picking Joe Mixon in the second round yeah. and he's still available and yeah. then he's your number one running back and then you deal with all the fallout that comes with that. Well, and that's we should get into that a little bit here um, sure. and we'll we'll spend a few minutes talking about this and we'll, uh, we'll let you guys We've got depart. a conference call. To get we have to. another it's conference call. We, we, we got off the uh, Riley Reef conference call before we recorded this and we will be wrapping this up so we can get on the Mike Remmers conference call. We, uh, we are pulling double and triple duty here on this podcast today. We are we are going the extra mile for you dear listeners who probably will uh spend a good chunk of your weekend I'm sure enjoying this podcast as you always do. So Hey, it's free. Uh, yeah, it is. To listen to it's so. free and you you get what you pay for. Um <laughs> yeah, the Joe Mixon thing I thought was very interesting. I they went down there, they had met with uh Samaje Perrine, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, at the combine, but they certainly wanted to get a look I mean, it was very clear that they wanted to get a look at those running backs. The general rule that I have found with the Vikings in the draft is if they send Mike Zimmer to a pro day, he's usually pretty hands-on with certain players, and if you see him doing that, you know that they're serious about him. They do not tend to waste Mike Zimmer's time at these pro days. He is not there for smokescreen purposes, especially if him and Spielman are there together. You know they're interested, and in the fact that they brought Kennedy Palomalu, their new running backs coach there as well confirms that I think they're very interested in one or both of the running backs that Oklahoma has. And it was interesting to see the pictures of, of Mike Zimmer leaving that pro day to go talk to Joe Mixon. Uh, it, that would be one that I think would uh, maybe take a little bit of a sales job, just given the fact that they are going to get some fallout if they do it. And the fact the obvious narratives are going to be there with the last Oklahoma running back they had having off the field troubles and, in the area of, uh, I mean, I, this was not a domestic violence thing. Uh, Joe Mixon was certainly not. It was, I think, he punched a, a female student in the face. But uh, those narratives and, and the columns and all of that stuff will come up, and Adrian Peterson's name would be mentioned in conjunction with that if they did draft him. So I think that's certainly something that they would have to weigh. But somebody's going to take a chance on the guy if he can play and if he shows that he's not going to have off the field troubles. It's certainly going to be worth a look. Now, the question is, will the Vikings beat that team? He is a fantastic player, and there's a really good chance that he's on the board when they're ready to pick. Because there are so many good running backs, you could see lots of teams saying, we're not going to take that risk. We're going to take running back X instead. And then by the time you get to the second round, he's still on the board. If you're the Vikings, the thing that you have to consider is that there is a video, and that changes things even though it shouldn't. If you read what Frank Clark did out of Seattle, and if you read what, uh, say, uh, Tyreek Hill did for right. Kansas City, if you read it, you will be horrified, but there is nothing like a video in that's, terms of how you're uh, dealing with these things. That's the whole reason Adrian Peterson got indicted in the first place, was the fact that, well, number one, the Ray Rice video came out. The, the grand jury had said it was not going to indict. The Ray Rice video hits. They said, oh boy, we got to come back out and do something here. And the fact that the pictures were leaked um, by the police department to somebody down in Houston <clears throat> certainly added an element to it too. So yes, when there is a visual element that does change the narrative. You're it, right. Yeah, it certainly does. And I also think that 
any time that you take a chance on a player like this, you do damage to your fan base's trust in you. It's not to say that every Viking player is a good guy that's on the team right now, uh, but I think that part of the brand of the team has been to have guys that are really good in the community and things like that. Spent an awful lot of time lionizing Chad Greenway for that this week. Yes, for sure. And he's, deservedly so. And he's one of them, but far from the only one. Sure. I know Xavier Rhodes is, is trying to do a lot himself yep. uh, to that end. So you have a lot of players that uh, have done yeah. a lot in the community for a long time. Teddy Bridgewater, Harrison Smith, um, Kyle Rudolph is a new yes, uh, for sure. facility going in at the, the Masonic Children's Hospital at the U of M. I mean, you know, a lot of guys. And, and they, they've been involved in the community. Brad Matson, their community director, does a great job. And, and they've kind of tried to, to have that be part of what they do. There's no question. Right. So if you bring in a guy that has a video of him breaking the jaw of a female student, it really kind of undoes some of that goodwill that's been built up. There are some things you can't control. If you have a player and you think that he's fine and then something happens like yeah. Adrian Peterson, yeah. then, well, okay, that's a tough spot. But when you intentionally go get someone that puts your team at risk of something down the road and has a video out that is going to hurt a lot of people to see, I think. Yeah. A lot of people who have gone through things like that in their yeah. own lives that yeah. are Vikings fans, and maybe they'll still buy tickets, maybe they'll still go to games, but it doesn't feel the same when your team does that, I think. I I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't speak for all football fans at all, but there are people that I know who have been through these types yeah. of things, and that's what they say when they see their teams doing it. It's not like, well, I'm never going to root for you again, but it's, Boy, that hurts. Yeah, that hurts for you to say that you don't care about. Yeah, and it is it is a difficult thing because no team is full of choir boys. Every team mm -hmm. in the NFL has stuff that you know about. Probably a lot of stuff you don't know about. Um, stuff that's probably never been publicized or or became a criminal issue. They're, I mean, everybody's got in a locker room of fifty three guys. There are going to be guys that are great people. They're going to be guys that are not so great. They're going to be guys that are in between and, and guys that may have made a mistake at one point in their lives and, and are trying to not have it happen again and, and probably should get a second chance to, to uh, right the ship. But yeah, it is going to be one of those things that if, if he is there and they take him, that that's going to come up. And, and I think one of the things that they will say if they do it is that, well, we've been through this. Uh, they, they created a program uh, back in, in basically in response to what had happened with Peterson, kind of a, a domestic violence education initiative throughout the organization and then some community uh, outreach projects as part of that. So I, I think one of the things they would say is we have the infrastructure in place to deal with a guy that's maybe had some trouble with you know violence towards women in that case. Um, you know, we'll have to see what they do. I, and for all we know at this point, they may have said, no, this isn't going to work. Or, or maybe they say, you know, it was a one-time thing and, and we can, if we deep dig deep enough into the guy's character, maybe we can make this work. We'll have to see how all that works, but yeah. somebody think, is going to give the guy a chance. I think the thing that fans don't ever want to hear is, well, we did research on his background. Like, yeah. oh yeah, we have heard that one so yeah. many be times. Be upfront about it. Be honest about it. You know, if you have to be a little bit, um, more uh, vulnerable or a little more um, candid about it than yeah. you typically would like to be, do it. I mean, it, you know, that part of, of the thing I think is going to be, would go a long way if that happens. I and mean, we're obviously three or four steps down the road if that is going to be the case. But it was interesting to see them looking at him. And it, it has been interesting to see how much they are looking at running backs 
that does suggest, no matter what they're saying, that they are thinking pretty seriously about being in a post-Adrian Peterson world, does it not? Yeah. No, it, right. No, I think and they have to be very, very thoughtful on those yeah. things because yeah. of that. Um, yeah. Sorry, I delayed because I was trying to think about how to phrase this to you as we wrap up and have yeah. to run to a conference call. Yes. Um, offensive line now, the fix. How would you describe it in a, a, a noise? Would you describe it with, <laughs> would you describe it with, yeah, or would you describe it with, mm, or would you describe it with, yeah? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd probably be somewhere between the first and the second one. It'd be like a, uh, mm, maybe i mean something like that i you know i it's it's just hard for to live say. radio and someone were turning it on just to hear we need we need like a sound effect board with you know one of all those old cartoon sound effects we should invest in one of those yeah yes, exactly yeah. one of those old like well uh, it isn't yakety sacks we can't play yakety sacks that's what it was last year we'll have to invest in that for for future podcasts but if uh if fans, if you're listening to this and, and you have suggestions for what the noise would be, and if you could find a sound effect to uh, communicate that noise to us, we would love to hear it. In the meantime, we got to run to a conference call. We've kept you long enough. Thanks for listening. This has been a a newsy podcast as it uh, as tends as it tends to be this time of year. We will probably be back with another one of these eh, probably in five or six days. I guess we typically do these Wednesdays. We'll we'll have a chance to to digest whatever else happens this weekend. Whatever happens the early part of next week, and we will uh, look at what it means for your Minnesota Vikings as they head into the 2017 season. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.